Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Week 2, Husky Football 2023, the Heisman run, the championship run is underway. And uh, week two, again, 2023, Husky Stadium. Just a reminder to folks going to the game, 405 heading south and north will be closed between Sunset and Coal Creek, heading both directions starting late Friday night and going to early Monday morning. And a lot of people are going to say, well, I live nowhere close to that. It's not going to impact me. Yes, it will. I live down by the VMAC. It took me over two hours last year to get to Husky Stadium when they did this because everybody was going the side roads. Everybody was going the side roads. Add extra time. It's going to be a mess. I promise you it's going to be a mess. Like I said, it took me over two hours and I tried every which way, but all the side roads were clogged all the way into Seattle, including I tried to go up Coal Creek. That didn't work. I went down to Rainier Avenue, tried to do all the side roads, get in on 23rd, and it was just bumper to bumper the whole way there. So plan accordingly. And temperatures expected to be in the high 70s, low 80s. Hopefully it won't be a repeat of last week where we just got absolutely baked on the sideline, uh, Monica Samick, our sideline photographer, actually had to go into the medic tent for about a half hour with heat exhaustion. It was hot. I think that uh, they said that the turf down there usually will add anywhere between 10 and 15 degrees to the temperature, just the reflection off of the turf. So um, if you're sitting in the sun tomorrow, be forewarned. It, it, just real quick, um, also heard a lot of complaints about um, what was going on with concessions, running out of water and everything. Typically, they have about 300 people working the game. The number I heard they have last week was 70. He just can't find people to work. So anyways, just be prepared. Eat before you go in and uh, you know, take a water bottle and fill up at a water fountain if you need to. But just be prepared. Temperatures expected to be in the uh, high 70s and possibly hit into 80 degrees. But, you know, hey, Chris, with Tulsa coming in, rumors of Steve Largent being there. But one of our good friends that we lost a couple years ago is my all-time favorite player from Tulsa, Greg Barton, Taylor Barton's dad. Greg played a, a number of years in the NFL, the USFL, was an administrator, general manager, and all that kind of stuff. But that's the first thing I thought about looking into this Tulsa game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, both him and Steve Largent, those are the two guys that I would know. Um I think there's also a couple connections because Greg played at Tulsa that I think he may have, have had some influence in, in terms of maybe a quarterback or two that came from this area, came from the Pacific Northwest region and ended up playing at Tulsa. Can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure that happened as well. So, uh, but yeah, Greg's influence, uh, especially up here, getting started, getting Taylor involved in it too once his playing career was over obviously taylor's taken off with it and really run with it and done a fantastic job 
So yeah, Greg and and uh, and definitely Steve Larger are the two guys I think of. Hey, do you remember the story that he told us sitting by the pool in Palm Springs as general manager of the Portland Breakers? Do you remember that story? Uh, I've never been to Palm Springs, but well, well, he was talking about how he was general manager. For, you know, I think I can't remember the USFL or the World Football League, but one of them. And he was the general manager, and he was also going to be the quarterback. So during the draft, they got to about the sixth round. And uh, Greg said, eh, I'd take myself in the seventh or eighth round. Well, the pick ahead of him, somebody picked him. Somebody else picked him. So he couldn't make another pick. He had to trade back for himself. Yeah, well, hey, that's <laughs> the wild, wild west for you, man. That's back in the day. Yeah, that was back in the day. But, you know, with Tulsa, it looks like they've lost their starting quarterback coming into this week. Well, yeah, it is. And it, it's hard to say because they – I did watch the the press conference this week with their first year head coach Kevin Wilson, who there are some connections with him in Washington because he did coach uh, with William Inge, Washington's co-defensive coordinator, linebackers coach when they were back at Indiana, and he was the head coach. Um, so there is a, a bit of a tie there, but basically he said that uh, you know their starting quarterback, who is a guy by the name of um Braylon Braxton and he's a, a pretty big kid about 62 220 um I think people he would remind people a little bit of what they saw last week in Boise State's Taylor Green uh, a little bit more uh not not so much a dual threat guy a guy that will probably pass more than he'll run but is athletic enough to make some things happen with his feet and he hurt his ankle in uh, Tulsa's opening uh season win over Arkansas Pine Bluff and so they brought in their backup, and his name is Cardell Williams. And I don't remember the exact stats, but I think he went like 13 of 14 or 14 of 15 or something crazy like that. And, um, again, Arkansas Pine Bluff, you know, it's an FCS team. You'd expect them to kind of beat up on them, and they did 42 to 7. Uh, but talking to Kevin or listening to Kevin Wilson today, um, you know, talk or this week talking about what was going on with his quarterbacks. He said that definitely hurt his ankle and, and Cardell came in, did a great job. Um, it doesn't sound like it's something, you know, long term for uh, Braylon Braxton, but you never know. So I think Braxton is, is definitely one of their leaders. I'd be surprised if he didn't play today. But again, it's one of those things where, you know, you know what their next game is. Anybody anybody know what Tulsa's next game is? I think they're uh, they're playing another big team. I can't remember who it is though. Uh huh. And it's and it's real big. It's Oklahoma. Oh yeah. And there so you, you know, knowing where Tulsa is, and, and knowing who their next opponent is, I, I don't know if that's something that a first year head coach would <laughs> think about. But bottom line is, he needs to make a splash. And especially if you're going to be in state and it's recruiting and everything else going on, are you really going to want to throw all your arsenal back out against a Washington team that right. even if you lose big, is it going to matter compared yeah. to where you're playing next week and how that can have implications on your entire program? So I, I, I think it will be interesting to see what he does with the quarterbacks for sure. And Scott, I wrote about this in my prediction. When you take a look at what happened and look at what uh, Coach Barnum at Portland State said about the game at Oregon, where he said that they, he had an over-under of five scores and he would pull his starter. Because last year at Washington in the fourth quarter, he lost seven players. So, you know, just the cannon fodder thing, is this going to be start to be a trend where we could see that happen again today where there may be an over-under with Tulsa before they start pulling all the guys? 
Uh, I, it wouldn't surprise me if you, you start seeing stuff like that. I mean, because if that can affect you for the rest of the year, you're, you're not expected to win that game anyway. So why why risk your guys, um, you know, if you're down three or four scores and it's and you have 15 minutes left in the game? Why why would you even bother bother to do to to, you know, put them in harm's way? But, you know, I, I you know, I don't know. I, I honestly don't think you're going to see a lot of FCS um, you know, FBS, uh, games much longer. So, uh, you know, I, and these are big payouts for them. So, you know, it, it's a practice game essentially for these, these FBS schools and, and, um, you know, uh, Tulsa is an FBS program, but you know, the, the, the gap between Washington and, and Tulsa from a talent standpoint is pretty stark. And, and I, I just, I don't see any reason for him to keep guys in if Washington's up pretty big at halftime. Chris, what did we learn from Washington last week? Well, we learned that they're still awfully good on offense, right? I mean, <laughs> even, even I, with I, a slow start. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's just one of those things where that, and that's the thing I, you know, my prediction on Friday, I put 66 to nine and I feel like, you know, talking to the players and coaches this week, and I know we'll get to that in a second, but, it just, you know, you got the sense that, yeah, they were they were pretty happy with with coming back and finishing strong, but they still want to, you know, get out of the gates quick. They want to be explosive early and kind of set the tone. And you just feel like there was a lot of meat left on that that part of the bone there. And if they can take care of that, I don't think adding an extra 10 points. I think they left probably at least 10 points uh, off the board against Boise State. So that's why I felt like 66 was a pretty reasonable prediction especially when you're going up against a Tulsa team that's not as not anywhere near as good defensively uh, when you look at the numbers in 2022 now granted Tulsa has changed quite a bit in terms of their personnel and they've got some other players involved and on that side of the ball defensively even a a couple guys that uh, Washington fans might know in terms of the Simon brothers from uh, from Tacoma the one uh, defensive lineman who went to Colorado and the other one that that went to USC but Boy, Washington starting with Michael Penix, he just absolutely it was just it just really felt like it was a matter of time before the dam was going to break against the Broncos. It was just, man, you just go over the top and maybe he misses the first couple passes against Jalen McMillan. But then he hits one and then he hits one to Jalen Polk and then he hits a big one to to Roma Dunze. And then it just feels like the the dam's burst. What did you learn, Scott? Well, I saw a team that that started slow and and I was a little like what is going on here and then all of a sudden they just exploded and and Chris I I echo everything you said I mean Michael Penix is is and and his wide receiver group I I just don't know if there's a match you know I I shouldn't say a match I don't know if there's a better group in the in the country than Washington's wide receiver group I think you could say Ohio State and they didn't look very good last week but that what really wasn't their fault that was more quarterback play but and then Florida State's you know Washington Ohio State Florida State I I think you could choose any of those three and, and do really well to to say that they're the best receiver core in the in the country. And then you got Michael Penix, who's just absolute nails when he throws the ball. I'd like to see the re, the running game get started a little bit more, but passing wise, I don't I don't know if there's an you know a, a team that's better than Washington throwing the ball around the field. And defensively, I was pretty excited about what I saw from the secondary. You know they they were much closer to the ball. They got a lot lot more pass breakups. Davon Banks. 
I think was a revelation. Elijah Jackson, first time really getting any significant playing time and everything like that. I, I think that's why you listen to the Kim, you mentioned talking to the coaches this week and they talked about how they disguised things and and fooled him. And, and I think you're going to see that same thing this week uh, when they take on a redshirt freshman who's only in his second really game of playing college football. Yeah, and I think what we learned also is that uh, Washington needs to work on their running game. They lost Cam Davis, and I think that was a big loss. Uh, Dylan Johnson, we didn't see much of him. We saw a couple of nice catches out of the backfield, which is what he's known for. And then Will Nixon had a decent game. We'll see if they add another a third running back to that running game, and we'll uh, see if we learn anything more with that. With Michigan State coming up the following week, I'm sure they're going to want to show some certain things to set up things for next week. Also learned that uh, Jeremy Bernard, they didn't lose anything Washington did not lose anything when Taj Davis transferred down to Cal Jeremy Bernard uh, looks like he's going to be an all-conference receiver at some point in his career um, also defensive secondary I think uh, Devon Banks was kind of a revelation he came in and had a great game and I I know that uh, there's certain fans just have to have that pinata leader in the clubhouse right now Elijah Jackson uh, he didn't have as bad a game as a lot of people thought it was his first time out there with extended playing time he was injured quite a bit last year but uh, Elijah Jackson was far and away the best you know the better corner that we saw all spring, all uh, fall camp. So expect a bounce back week from Elijah Jackson. And also liked what I saw out of Thaddeus Dixon. He kind of got his feet under him a little bit, and hopefully we'll see a little bit more from uh, both of those guys. And we also learned that uh, Jalen McMillan can do more than just catch footballs. So we we learned all of that this week. <clears throat> Interesting conversations that we had this week. I think my quote of the week was uh, when uh, Coach Shepard said about his wide receivers going out of bounds is like going to hell. That kind of made me laugh. But, uh, you know, just some interesting conversations. Chris, you had a chance to talk to players on Tuesday. Yeah, I did. And it was uh, was really good. I mean, got to talk to Jabbar Muhammad for a little bit. And he's got a lot of connections with this Tulsa team because there's a number of former Oklahoma State players that have transferred to Tulsa. I think there was five that I counted. So, yeah, and, and even like a, a couple of defensive backs, uh, I think a receiver, a couple linemen. So a couple guys that he would definitely know for sure and guys that uh, may have even transferred out later than he did when he initially transferred to Washington. There were guys that, that were still unsure where they wanted to go and ended up at Tulsa. And so, of course, everyone was asking him if he was texting any of those guys or if there were, you know, if there was any banter going back or any smack talk going back and forth. And he said, no, nah. I goes, I shut that down. He goes, you know on the field after the game, we'll certainly catch up and we'll have a good, you know, good laugh or whatever and, and, and have some pictures and stuff like that. But he goes, you know, going into the game, it's us versus us. It's, it's all about what we need to get done and uh, take care of business. So that was good talking to him about that stuff. And then, um, you know, obviously talked to Jalen McMillan, talked to Roma Dunze just about the first game. And obviously McMillan, you know, I, the, the, title of the story that uh, I wrote about Jalen uh, this week was about him being Washington Swiss Army man and it's just he has turned into this multi-purpose guy and it's interesting that he did he was the Paul Horning uh, player of the week national player of the week and the Paul Horning award is basically that versatile guy uh, people can remember that the guy who won the Paul Horning award back in the day for Washington was Shaq Thompson and Shaq Thompson's a guy that did things on both sides of the ball running the ball playing linebacker doing those types of things. So uh, it's not unusual for that uh, particular award to take notice of a guy that was so versatile. So it was really good to talk to him as well. 
and then uh, talked to Asa Turner quite a bit about kind of the, the game one to game two and how far advanced they are compared to where they were this time last year and just uh, kind of breaking down a little bit of the younger guys and, and seeing that rotation because there is quite a bit of rotation with that safety group behind him and Dom Hampton because you had Mikel Esteen, thought it had a really good game against Boise State. Uh, you've got Tristan Dunn, who's doing a lot of work with the Husky, with Cam, uh, Cameron Fabiculanen, who had a uh, pick. So a lot of good conversations this week with the players. Scott, I thought, uh, you know, it was a, so interesting talking to Ryan Grubb specifically about the offense. It's kind of kind of weird where, you know, with Jimmy Lake being a defensive coach, he was all about the defense. And now with Kalen DeBoer, everything sure seems about the offensive side of the ball and just the conversations with the coaches, you know, especially uh, Coach Morrell. It gets a little interesting talking to Coach Morrell. Yeah, I mean, Coach Morrell is a kind of a no-nonsense guy, um, but he's always very positive about his guys. And and I think, honestly, I'm going to be honest with you, I think he and Inge really like, because they're co-defensive coordinators, I think they like the fact that they're kind of sitting under the radar, and, and a lot of people would rather focus on the offense, and, and rightfully so. I mean, Washington's offense is one of the best in the country. And um, the nice thing for Inge and for Morrell's guys is they get to play against one of the top top offenses in the country every week. And, um, you know, Coach Morrell talked about, you know, he was asked about Elijah Jackson and he said, you know, there's a lot of stuff that people don't know, you know, exactly. You know, he was supposed to have help in a certain on, on that long route that that was completed on. What was that like uh, third and third and eight or whatever it was? When he gets when they throw that long 40 yard pass to that guy, he was actually supposed to have help from the safety on that. And so um, they that was just a situation where he looks like he's the one that made a mistake. But it was really the safety that bit on something else that they made a mistake. And and so he was kind of left out out to dry on that one. But uh, he said, you know, he's just really started playing. And and so we're, we're not going to pu- push the panic button on him. Devon Banks, they really liked what he did, but they're going to they're saying that Elijah Jackson's still the starter and they're going to let him kind of work his way into things. And and I think when he kind of gets it, he's he's got that special talent. He's one of the most athletic guys on the team and all that different stuff. Morrell also talked about, you know, stopping the run and containing containing uh, quarterbacks. And, and he said the theme and the motto for the defense all offseason long and it's going to happen all through this season is stopping mobile quarterbacks. And so you're not going to see maybe as big a sack numbers as maybe we would have thought because the 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 edge guys and the defensive linemen are going to be asked to contain those guys and not let them get outside the pocket rather than really pin their ears back and get after them and possibly get out of a rushing lane. So, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff from Morrell. People should go back and listen to it and, and read uh, the transcription that I put out because it, he's, he's really a guy that's, that's kind of fun to listen to. And Kim, I like the last question you asked him and Schmidt uh, in that, you know, asking them about, Hey, you got home early for once. Um, what was it like? And they talked about being with their families and stuff like that. So that was kind of a lot of fun. Hey, uh, Scott, also, when we talked to um, Coach Inge on Monday, what was interesting is he said they had two sacks, but they had 12 quarterback pressures. And I asked him if that was a good number. And they said, yeah, um, it sounds like um, uh, 
last week that they did everything they could to take Braylon Trice away. He was getting double and triple teamed, but that was opening it up for some of the other guys. But like you said, you know, they were trying to keep, you know, containment and set that edge and not allow the quarterback to go crazy. He got out a couple of times, but nothing major. But, you know, I think that, you know, you hit the nail on the head where they may not see as many sack numbers and especially when they're going to double and triple team Braylon Trice, but 12 quarterback pressures. You tell me, Scott, is it pressure? Say like a, a quarterback sack is a 10. What's a pressure mm-hmm. worth? What's a pressure worth? Well, uh, the thing about a pressure is the ball can actually come out and he can make a bad throw and you have a chance at an interception. Right. So, um, you know, if, you know, there, there's a lot of different things. I, I would put it at like a seven and a half, eight compared to a sack. I mean, sacks are so demoralizing. I mean, just brutally demoralizing. And, um, but, you know, hurries can can really screw with a quarterback and you know these quarterbacks want to want to be on be on their platform and and be able to sit back there and make easy throws where they can step into it and if you're hurrying them they can't set their feet they can't maybe they're off the platform maybe they're maybe their arm angle is different and so the balls are going to be off and you could see in a couple instances where washington had good coverage but the the throw was really errant and um, didn't even come close when he was hurrying his throw. So a lot of different things can happen from a from a hurry rather than a sack. Yeah. So, Chris, we don't get the hurries and the pressure stats. So that's your job today is just to keep an eye on the quarterback and count pressures. How's that? Sure. I mean, I, I think it's one of those things, too, that if you go back to the Boise State game and you watch it again, you'll notice that when they decide to dial up some heat in the middle, whether it was from a guy like uh, Carson Bruner or Edifuan Ulafosio, Raylan Goforth, Alfonso Tupatala, when they when they were able to get in Taylor Green's face, that's where it seemed like it was the most effective. And when they were trying to get pressure off the edges, and whether like you know Braylon Trice was double teamed, what have you, ZTF was probably uh, getting a lot of attention. You know, it just didn't seem like that would phase Taylor Green much. He would just step up or step around or what have you. But when the pressure was coming in his face. And it was coming to where one of those guys could break through pretty quickly. Then it seemed like that's where getting him off his spot and having him make a real quick decision usually worked really well in Washington's favor because that's where you got that pick to uh, with Bruner because it was one of those things where the, the the screen game was working really really well for Boise State, but that was the one where that it almost kind of looked like a middle screen by the time it was starting to develop. And Bruner just literally just got right in the middle of the lane and picked it off. It was a great play by him. And, um, you know, so they just little things where if you were able to get in the quarterback's face right away, obviously that was creating a lot of problems. I, I would I kind of wonder if they're going to do the same thing today against either uh, uh, Braylon Braxton or uh, Cardell Williams, depending on who they see and, and what they've scouted. Because even though Braylon Braxton uh, didn't play a ton against Arkansas Pine Bluff because he got hurt, they do have some game film from last year where they can yeah. kind of see what his tendencies are. Well, the other thing, too, is if you're going to take away Braylon Trice and you're going to double team and triple team him, a guy that had a really good game that the coaches raved about was MJ Ollie, and you're just opening up the other side for ZTF. Yeah, and if you go by, um, I mean, I know people have mixed feelings on on pro football focus, but if you look at the grades, uh, the Boise State grades for Washington's defense on pro football focus, you'll see two of the top seven guys overall on defense were Tuli, Latuli Gasanoa and uh, Braylon Trice. So even though they, it may not have showed up on the stat sheet 
in terms of guys that had a lot of impact. And it felt like, as Scott said earlier, that their their game plan was a little bit more contained than trying to create a lot of havoc off the edge. They still seemed to be able to accomplish what they needed to, and they were still able to make plays. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and Scott, looking forward to today's game. You know, give me a couple of <clears throat> bullet points that you're going to be kind of keeping an eye on and tracking today. Uh, I think a big thing will just be how, you know, the continued improvement of the secondary. I thought Asa Turner had a really good game last week, as well as Devon Banks. Um, you know, I. I want to see what they what they do. I want to see more physicality out of the secondary when they go to make tackles. But more than anything, they just need to make tackles, no arm tackles, things like that. Offensively, I want to see the run game get going. I didn't. I thought Washington. Granted, I thought Boise State was doing some stuff up front that made it harder to run the ball. It seemed like they were packing the box, which was really weird. It's like, um, why are you guys packing the box? This team's gonna throw on you. So. Um, you know, but they they were doing they had they had got eight guys around the line of scrimmage and and so that makes it that can make it really hard to run the ball, and um, Washington made them pay for it down the road. But it, you know those first couple series they weren't really doing anything, and I want to see the running game get going a little bit more. I want to see Will Nixon get some more carries. I want to see Dylan Johnson play a little bit better as well. Um, and the offensive line to open some holes for him. And, and the, the receivers also said, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't see what Jamarcus uh, Shepard said. If we, he was asked about the blocking on the edge with the receivers said, I think Romo Dunsey uh, said it himself. He said, we didn't block very well on the edge. And that's something that we're going to try and get better at um, this week. So uh, that's just a couple of things that I'll be looking at. Chris and you today, what are a couple of things that you're going to be keeping an eye open for? Well, I think defensively for Washington, I think, first of all, it does go back, like Scott said, it goes back to tackling. It goes back to the fundamentals. Uh, again, Pro Football Focus had their overall tackling grade at right at 50, which is not good. Uh, but it is, again, game one, getting your feet wet, kind of getting back into it, trying to just get back into the, the mindset and everything else. And this will be a lot more important, I think, ironically, I think it's going to be more important this week against the Tulsa team that will probably have uh, maybe more success running the ball than Boise State did. I I definitely wouldn't have said that a week ago, but um, you know they, Tulsa had a really good game running the ball against Arkansas Pine Bluff. They had three guys that ran for over 50 yards. Uh, Jordan Ford was their leading rusher. He ran for 110 yards, and then Anthony Watkins and Bill Jackson both went for over 50. And you know those last two guys averaged about seven and well over seven and a half yards per carry. And so, again, going up against an FCS opponent who's who defensively was not very good last year in FCS, 
Uh, it's very, very hard to know how effective Tulsa can be running the ball, but I have a feeling it, it just feels like today that they're going to try to lean on that run game a little bit more because if, if Braylon Braxton can't go and Cardell Williams has to play his first career away game in Husky Stadium and it should get louder uh, today than it was last week because of, you know, it may not be as hot and hopefully more people will be out there. Um, it just feels like they're going to try to maybe lean on that run game a little bit more and try to make things a little easier for a guy making his first career away start uh, in a hostile uh, area. So I'm, I'm looking out for that. I'm looking to see how that front seven reacts to that and tackles and then forces a guy like uh, Cardell Williams off his spot and see how he reacts. Cause again, he was like 13 to 14 <laughs> against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Um, I don't expect him to be 13 or 14 against Washington. And I do expect Washington to play better from game one to game two uh, in terms of their secondary. And in terms of guys like Elijah Jackson bouncing back, Devon Banks still having a great game. Thaddeus Dixon get more playing time. And then, you know, JV on green, for instance, you know, because if this thing does get out of hand a little bit, we're going to start seeing some more names that maybe we didn't see as much against Boise State, like green, like a Darren Barkins. Um, maybe even some of the true freshmen might even see a guy like yeah. Caleb Presley out there might even see a guy like Leroy Bryan out there on the edges. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see how that works as well. So those are the things I'm work, worried about as far as Washington's defense and then offense. It's just, just, just stay out of your own way. Just do what you do. This, this, this Tulsa defense is not going to stop you. It's just a matter of stopping yourself. So as long as you're fundamentally good, you should be able to get more uh, yards on the ground. You should be able to do that a little bit better. Uh, talking to Will Nixon this week, he's just he's just really focused on doing his job and getting his thing done. If they can lean on him a little bit and then add in Dylan Johnson, add in Richard Newton, add in Sam Adams, they've got four guys there that played last week, and we'll see how they improve. But ultimately, this is all about Michael Penix and just getting the ball down the field, hitting those shots early. And just taking Tulsa out of this ball game, and, and as soon as they can do that, and really start bringing in some of these other players that they feel like they need to to rotate in to get some experience early in this season, the better. Scott, will we see freshman quarterback, seventeen-year-old Austin Mack today? I don't it, think so, but yes, I, if they get out to big enough lead, I think yes, they will. But right right now, no, I don't think so. I think we'll see him in the fourth quarter. Okay. All right, we'll see. I, I think, it, guys, I think it could happen just because I think generally speaking, Scott's right. If the if the score is reasonable, if the score is out of hand and, and there's five minutes left in the game and all Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb are going to do is literally hand the ball off. Yeah. And, you know, that's a situation where if we see uh, Austin Mack, we're probably going to see Tybo Rogers as well. Yeah. And if that's the case, it's literally just Austin Mack handing the ball off to Tybo Rogers. Hey, Scott, I wanted to ask you about something I had a chance to talk to the coaches about. You know, I talked earlier in the podcast about how we got absolutely baked on the sidelines. There's been some talk about from the coaches and Caitlin DeBoer's mentioned it a couple of times about switching sides and not only Mm -hmm. because of the heat. But, uh, you know, when you take a look at where the press box is there and where the coaches are, the assistant coaches for the opposition, they're looking right at the Husky sidelines. There's been some issues where they've gone to great lengths to disguise their signs, and the other teams seem to be really going after 
and trying to steal the signs. Uh, any thoughts on them switching sides? I've always wanted them to switch sides. I know why they didn't. It's because the student section used to be there, but the student section isn't there anymore. So no reason not to switch, honestly. Well, the other thing is where you get baked, you know, for a couple of games a year in the winter, that side is much, much colder. So, you know, I'm going to advocate for the other side because it's warmer. Yeah. Well, why can't they switch? I don't know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I don't, See, I don't. I, yeah, I think from the outside looking in, guys, it feels like it'd be an easy fix, right? Why, why would that be a problem? Just literally just go to the south side. and It's almost like if you're the first team out in the field, just call it. Just dibs it. <laughs> yeah, like first first team out gets to pick the, the, side the, the other thing on. is too that Washington Washington's entrance is on their side, which is the north side, and the other team's entrance is on the south. You know, that's on the east side um, of the stadium goes is on the south side, southeast side, so they can just go right up the state, and you don't have to cross. But I don't think that's that big of an issue. Well, you're also, not, you're not technically, you're not going to have to cross either because they just, all you have yeah. to do is just bend it around the, no, I know, absolutely around the end zone. I, I don't think it's as big of that, that big of a deal. I think it's going to eventually happen. I think the Huskies will eventually be on the South side. I think they should have been for a long time. Yeah. A couple of, uh, uh, really interesting uh, Hall of Fame. Steve Pelour was inducted, and Chris, you mentioned about the Michigan game. I was there, back there with the two-point conversion, and then uh, Cody Pickett, Isaiah Thomas. But you know, I saw Cody on the sidelines before the Boise State game, and he kind of let me know that, yeah, he was really happy. I mean, he was—I would say he was giddy, and he was with his family, and he was really excited and. He goes, crap, I got to go over and do Boise radio. He goes, how do I get out of it? So it was kind of funny talking to Cody about that. But uh, well-deserved for Cody, one of my all-time favorite kids uh, to play here. And, um, you know, he had the heart scare last year or was it the year before? And he's had a very successful career over in Boise as a women's basketball coach and now the men's basketball coach over at a private school in Boise. So good to see Isaiah. I'm not a shock on Isaiah. He's got his uh, number retired sitting in the rafters. But, uh, uh, you know, interesting Hall of Fame nominations today. Inductees, I should say, not nominations. Yeah, no, they're 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 really, really good. And, and obviously, Fans of Washington Athletics in general, they're going to know all these names, whether you're talking about like Ashley Charters and softball when, you know, she was her last year at Washington's when they won the national championship. Uh, Paige McKenzie, obviously, she played on um, Curtis Cup teams and represented her country as well as Washington. So she had a phenomenal career as a Husky. Uh, Krista Fanzant, obviously, huge uh, recruit at the time when they picked her up right after the national championship and had a monster all-american career uh UW just a handful of, of, of people besides guys like Isaiah and Cody and uh and Steve Pelour so yeah just a star-studded group and just an FYI the um that will happen the week of the Arizona State game so they'll be honored at halftime of the Arizona State game so and usually that uh induction ceremony is the night before so that's when that will happen and and just uh, remind just a reminder Kim that's the same, that's that's homecoming weekend yeah yeah so uh Plan accordingly. But uh, Scott, recruiting, um, maybe give us an update on what's going on. Not a ton going on, but uh, we've got some visitors in this week. Yeah, well, one one thing that people need to understand is that um, Josh Lara, uh, four-star, three-star safety from uh, Texas, uh, was supposed to take his official visit this weekend, but that has been canceled. It'll happen actually uh, for the Cal game in two weeks. 
Um, there was a family issue that he had to deal with, and uh, he's rescheduled for the Cal game, so that's been put in there. Uh, that, that, by the way, comes from Brandon Huffman, and, and this list comes from Huffman. He's the one who uh, does a really good job of getting this list. Uh, Zadrius Rainey Saleh uh, and Dimitri Manning, who are two of the top guys for the 2025 class, th- those guys will both be at the University of Washington. Uh, Manning is an offensive defensive lineman. Uh, Rainey Saleh is a linebacker. Um, and then Cody Green, a guy that has an offer from Washington for the 2026 class. He's the number one guy in the state. Um, uh, linebacker um, Wasi Lugalobi. Uh, he's from uh, both of those guys are from Eastside Catholic. And then uh, the top um, cornerback in the state in 2026, Josiah Denmark. Those are those are just three, uh, six of the names or five of the names that are that are of guys that are going to be there. But there's going to be a a decent group on the sidelines. Probably about 20, 30 guys overall. Um, about 15 of which Washington will really be after really hard. And, and uh, uh, just, you know, it's always kind of fun to be down on the sidelines before a game and, and uh, seeing what's going on. Hey, Kim, or, or Scott, I may have missed it. Was there, is there an uh, official visit? Not yeah, La- Lair was supposed to be the official visitor. What about and- uh, Elias Johnson? Uh, Elias uh, Johnson is not an official visitor. He's just taking a, a, a visit. Uh, oh, that's right. He took an official visit in June. Yep. Yeah, yes, okay. he did. Just looking down my list, did I miss anything, guys? Uh, no, there's one thing that you got to reiterate. Oh, 405 being closed both ways, it's going to impact everything. It's not going to just impact the east side. It will impact everything. Uh, like I said, last year was just an absolute disaster, so plan accordingly. I think last year, I think it was a much bigger game than Tulsa, but I'm still expecting traffic to be an absolute disaster. So uh, plan accordingly. Uh, wrap it up, Chris Fetters. Uh, yeah, just in general, it's it's weird because I feel like, you know, I try to be a little bit more prepared and understanding where the opponent is coming from coming into a game like this. I almost feel like it's been since the Montana game when I feel this ill prepared for an opponent just trying to figure out what they're going to do. Because you try to find film of the Pine Bl- Arkansas Pine Bluff game and it's not great. You have to go to the American Athletic Conference website and, and take a look at it. And it's yeah, it's there. And you get about a two or three minute highlight clip and that's about it. And so, and especially with the uncertainty at quarterback with Braylon Braxton and, and Cardell Williams, not sure exactly who's, who's going to play there. We know they have a solid run game, or at least they, they did on uh, last Saturday. So just, just so many things unknown for them offensively, but we already know what Washington's going to do offensively. And that's ultimately the tipping point thing for me is that, regardless of whether Tulsa is able to score a touchdown or two or three, it's not going to matter because they're in no way, shape or form. Are they going to be able to keep up with Washington's offense today? Scott Eklund, wrap it up. Uh, Just see another big win for Washington. I think, uh, um, you know, Washington will get out to a little bit faster start. I think the uh, players and the coaches are wanting to get out to a little bit faster start this week. I think we'll see the running game get going a little bit. And I think, and I think we could see a turnover or two on the defensive side of the ball. And, and I think we will see a few sacks as well. So good game overall. I think Washington should come away with this with a very comfortable uh, win. Um, I didn't predict them to cover the spread. I think the spread is 35. I picked a 31 point win. So, um, but uh, yeah, I think it should be an easy win. And I think Washington, a lot of their backups will get into play in the fourth quarter this week. 
Another early game this week. We're all happy about that. It's two o'clock, but uh, still, that's a lot better than the uh, five, six, seven, seven thirty games and even eight o'clock games that we've had in yeah. the past. So, so we'll get done uh, again. We're typically seven, seven and a half hours after kickoff is when we finish up. So, you know, do the math on a seven thirty game, and uh, you can tell why we don't like them. But, anyways, uh, it should be a good week. And again, you know, just weather's expected to be fabulous. So plan accordingly so this might be the last good weather game we see this week this year because we head to michigan state next week and when we get back i think we may see a change in weather so um for all of us at dogman.com i'm kim grenolds along with chris fetters and scott eckland go dogs moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.